Good evening. Mm -hmm. I welcome to the service this evening. And I welcome to any of the visiting us as well. I have to also remember those who are still watching online that uh, we pray that we will God's blessing as we seek the worship of uh, together. Ich 
Ja, was wird dabei die Bewegung auf die Wirkung genommen? Das hat auch nicht geändert. Oh, die Erlösungsnahme war, der ist das jetzt nicht erzählt. Der ist bald jetzt nicht erzählt. Ich habe die Erlösung immer da im Boden. Ich habe die Erlösung gepecht mit dem Wichtigen aus der Kirche. Der Nähe nach dir von der Tage. Gepecht mit der Erlösung der Regierung, dass wir können wir nur nicht beteiligen. Wir dürfen die Kirche nicht gehören. Du bist gerichtet, du bist gerichtet, du bist gerichtet, du bist gerichtet, mit deinem Rokazos ist der Tarstrom. Du bist gerichtet, 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 du bist Chapter 1, and we'll read the whole of 
God's word. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you ask, how have you loved us? Was not Jacob Esau's, was not Esau Jacob's brother, the Lord says? Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I hated. And I have turned his mountains into a wasteland and left his inheritance to the desert jackals. Even they say, though we have been crushed, we will rebuild the ruins. But this is what the Lord Almighty says. They may build, but I will demolish. They will be called the wicked land, the people always under the wrath of the Lord. You will see it with your own eyes and say, Great is the Lord, even beyond the borders of Israel. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I am a father, where is the honor due to me? If I am a master, where is the respect due to me? says the Lord Almighty. It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. But you ask, how have we shown contempt for your name? You place the fire through the well. But you ask, how have we defiled you? I say that the Lord's table is contemptible. When you bring blind animals for the sacrifice, is that not wrong? When you sacrifice crippled or deceased animals, is that not wrong? Try offering them to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you? says the Lord Almighty. I implore God to be gracious to us. With such offerings from your hands, we accept you, says the Lord Almighty. Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors, so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. And I will accept no offering from your hands. My name will be great among the nations, from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name. Because my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord Almighty. But you profane it by saying on the Lord's table, it is defiled, and on its food it is contemptible. And you say, What are burning? And you sniff at it, and it contemptuously, says the Lord Almighty. When you bring injured, crippled, or diseased animals and offer them as sacrifices, should I accept them from your hands, says the Lord? Cursed is the cheat who has an acceptable meal on his flock. Advice to give it, and then sacrifices a blender stumble to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations. Amen. Amen. May God bless that reading of his word. We'll turn now to Ephesians chapter 1 and read that portion from that chapter as well. Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 3. Also, Paul will write to the church in Ephesus, but this is God's word to uh, the church beyond Ephesus. It's God's word to us still this evening. And we read there in verse 3 Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. 
In whom we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the deposit and guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. And again, may God bless that name of his word to us. Well, as we turn back to God's word, let's uh, ask for his help as we seek to understand it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once more that we have the freedom, that we have the desire uh, to come to this place and to, to sit perhaps in our own home summit this time uh, with your word open and with uh, that uh, sense of expectation that you will meet with us and speak to us. And so, Lord, we pray that uh, you would do that in these moments. We pray that you would uh, draw near to us, that we would know uh, that this place and any place that we may be at this time, uh, it is not only a place where we are, but it's a place where you're dwelling with us. We thank you for the wonder of the fact that when we believe the Holy Spirit himself dwells within us, uh, our bodies, our hearts become uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit, something that's almost impossible for us to grasp, but we believe it, and we take hold of that by faith. We thank the Lord for your love for us, for your grace towards us, that in spite of who we are, and you have called us to, to come to you. You stand that you are the God who searches us and who knows us. And even as we look into our own hearts, we, we know uh, how dark they can be at times, how far we can uh, fall, how often we can fail. If we were to know uh, of each other, the extent of what goes to our minds and our hearts, we, we know that we would push each other away and not draw each other close. But we thank you that you see even what we don't see, that you see the, the darkest corners of our lives. And yet you say to us, come to me with all the weariness of your sin, with all the burdens that and you are not designed to carry, and I will give you rest. We know, Lord, that that rest came at such great price. You know, when the Lord Jesus had to die, he had to take our sin upon his shoulders so that we uh, could know that rest and that peace. He had to take uh, the curse of sin from us if we were to go from being enemies of God to friends of God. And we thank you, that's what Jesus did. That's what we remember each time we gather here, we go back to the foot of the cross. We remember that the Saviour died we remember also that he rose again, triumphant over the grave. And we thank you that that's what our hope is. That's what our confidence is. Not in who we are, not in what we have done, or what we aspire to do, but our whole confidence is in, in Jesus and his finished work, his grace towards us. And we ask, Lord, that as we uh, look at this book, uh, this last book of the Old Testament, a book not really familiar probably to to many of us, we pray that we would see uh, the grace of Jesus uh, in this book. We pray that you would open our eyes, Lord, to see uh, your love for us and the, the desperate need that we have of you. So meet with us, Lord, we pray in this place. We pray for each of us. Uh, you know our needs, Lord. You know if there are people here who are, who are anxious about, um, about the weeks or the months or the years to come. And you know that this world is full of trouble and uh, we thank you that we can 
Okay, we are before you anything that troubles us, as we thought about last week, that we are to pray, not to worry, but to pray. So we pray for anyone who may be anxious, but we ask that uh, you would grant to them your peace, that you would give to them the assurance that you are with them. As Lord, we pray that you would be with us. We pray on for those who are grieving, but we ask that you would uh, grant to them your comfort. We pray for those who are struggling with addictions, and some who may uh, be uh, under a great weight at this time in terms of these addictions. You may uh, feel uh, that they are losing the battle. And we thank you that uh, you promise, Lord, as we trust you to come into our lives and give us your strength, not our strength. We pray for any of you who are wrestling uh, with these addictions, Lord, that they would look to you, trust you, and know uh, the power that comes from uh, walking with the Lord. So hear our prayers. Take away our sin, Lord, we pray. We pray for those in hospital as well as we pray for Anthony this morning. We continue to uphold him and the family in prayer. That your hand would be upon them, Lord, that your presence would be with them. And for others, Lord, who are in their homes, who are recovering from surgeries, for some who are infirm, who are not able to, to get out uh, as they once uh, did, we, we pray for them, Lord, and we ask that you would bless them. And for others, Lord, who are healthy and who are fit, and we have the opportunity to come out, but have no real desire. And we pray for them also. For some who have never seen their sin and their need of Christ. And we ask that you would awaken their souls. The Father's Lord, who wants to walk close with you, uh, whose hearts may be uh, cool now, may be hard. And we ask, Lord, that you would draw near to them. We thank you that in this, this little letter that we're reading here, this little um, book of prophecy, we hear uh, that. Uh, we hear that verse, return to me, says the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. And so we pray for any who may be distant just now, and we ask that you would draw them back. So hear our prayers, and continue with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think this book probably wasn't written by somebody called Malachi. There's a bit of debate about it. Um, but the name Malachi um, means messenger. So we look at verse 1, actually. We look at verse 1, and then we'll start to... To go through the first few verses. Um, but it says in verse 1, an oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. The word oracle, that means a weighty word. So this is not a kind of light-hearted thing that Malachi uh, or the writer uh, is going to be passing on. This is a weighty word. And we'll see that as the book goes on. An oracle, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. So immediately we think, well, this is written by somebody called Malachi, but the word Malachi uh, simply means messenger. So we don't really know who wrote this book. Could it be Ezra? Well, we haven't got a clue. Could it be somebody called Malachi? But the likelihood is that it was written by somebody who you didn't want to be seen, whose name you didn't want to have in there. God the Holy Spirit inspired this book, but we we don't actually know who wrote it. Which is no bad thing. Because God can use his servants most effectively when we don't get in the way. And when we're not looking for people to remember our name. You know, sometimes people, uh, they, they do these photo bombs uh, that the young ones wore. And we're familiar with that terminology. But, you know, sometimes you'll see a report on the news and there's an interview that's been given and somebody's walking past in the background and they see the camera and they're waving and they're trying to get in the shot. They're trying to be seen. Uh, they're trying to get their face into the, into the screen. And uh, 
The young people call that fruit of God. Somebody's taking a photograph and they stick their heads out and they want to be seen. You know, lots of people today have seen them uh, and they're standing in front of the beaches or they're standing in front of the monuments and they, they, they've got a camera and they, they're, they're doing this and the things in the background because they're desperate to get their own face in it, using their faces blocking the thing you actually want to see. Uh, they call that selfies. So they take the photograph and it's posted online so everyone can see their face. But you know, if, if we're Christians, if we're uh, God's people, our job is, is to help people to see Jesus, not us. And so whoever wrote this book of Malachi did a good job of that. And he was the messenger. But he didn't get the right message. He simply passed it on. He didn't confuse it. He didn't distort it. He didn't kind of shirk back from what was sometimes a difficult message. He, he simply passed on the word of the Lord, the weighty, oracle-like word of the Lord. One of the commentators, uh, Benton, says, it's not the man that matters, but the message. Malachi is happy to remain anonymous, so that people think not about him, but about what God has to say. So let's look at the first five verses then of this message. And there's three headings in the time that we have, and I'll, I'll just be precise tonight. Uh, if the elders are going to come back in the evenings, I know, I think they're sending me the message, you must be finished by 7 o'clock. Three things. First thing is the declaration of God's love. And uh, we see that in, in verse 2. Uh, an article, verse 1, the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Uh, so what's the first thing he says? I have loved you, says the Lord. So the very first thing in this letter is a very uh, emphatic, clear, warm declaration of God's love. And that's the greatest message in the world. And what an amazing, thrilling message for God's people and to hear. God is telling his people, he's reassuring his people uh, that, that he loved them and that he, he still loves them. Last week we were remembering uh, those who lived through the war years and uh, it's hard for us with all our, our, our phones and emails to, to imagine this but when you think back to these war years uh, there were so many couples who were so much in love and they were separated for these years of war. Uh, no mobile phones, no emails, no FaceTime, all they had was letters. And so when somebody received a letter from a loved one, it was so precious. And when that letter that gave them the reassurance of, of, of the ongoing love for the one who's received the letter. It brought such joy, it brought such assurance, it brought, brought such a, a thrill to the heart to know that they were loved. And the Lord through uh, this prophet and writes a letter and he delivers this message of unwavering love. I have loved you, says the Lord. So that's how the, the letter begins. God says, I have loved you. And tonight we'll, we'll, we'll hear this. The volume gets turned up as we continue through the verses. But uh, let's take that right from, from the, the very beginning. Uh, what God said uh, through this letter to his people all these years ago, he says to us tonight, I've loved you. Every single person made by God, someone three now, made for God to live uh, for his glory. We read that in Ephesians. And loved by God. God declares his love for his people in the very opening line of this letter. But what comes next? Or what do you expect to come next? What would you expect God's people to say in response? 
I think if we if we considered that and we hadn't read any further on, uh, we would expect God's people, having received this declaration of love, to immediately respond and joyfully respond by, by saying that they love the Lord. But that's not what happens. You know, that's what happens in a good relationship. If one person says, I, I love you, in response to the other person, it's surely to say, well, I love you too. And if they don't say that, there's, there's a problem. So we expect to be next. We expect to hear God's people responding warmly to this declaration of God's love. But um, that's not what comes. When God, as He looks into the heart of His people, and He uh, He, he articulates in the, uh, in the next part of the verse um, that uh, that thing that He sees in the heart of, of His people, and that's the doubt His love. So it's the declaration of God's love. God says, "I have loved you," and then there's the doubt. Of God's love that comes from His people, and, and uh, we have this almost like a courtroom dialogue it goes back and forth. But you ask, <clears throat> how will you love us? And this is the first sign in this book of Malachi that uh, things were not good between God and His people. You know, if your girlfriend says, "I love you," and the boyfriend responds by saying, "How have you loved me?" That's not a good response. All is not well. And yet that's what God's people were saying uh, to him. They were doubting his love for them. So we asked the question, why? You know, what was going on to cause God's people uh, to doubt his love for them? And I think the answer to that question is, circumstances were not easy. Life was not easy. You know, things were not working out for God's people the way that they had first hoped they were going to work out. Living was harder than they expected. And one commentator um, Boston, he, he gives an insight into the way things were at that time, so I'll just share that with you for the, for the sake of time. He says, he says there, uh, giving us some context, things were not good. Jerusalem was still relatively deserted, and farmland was largely barren and uncultivated. Recent harvests had been poor, and swarms of locusts and lack of food made life hard and precarious. The temple had been finished in 520 BC, but it was so small compared to Solomon's that it had done little to lift morale. And although Nehemiah had repaired the walls, the people still preferred living out of the country where they could more easily hide from attack. They had not built a palace because they didn't have a king, although Zerubbabel, the governor, was a, a rightful heir in the royal line of David. So Judah now comprised a small hill town and some surrounding villages, a pale reflection of the kingdom of God in this Haiti. The people of God were disappointed, disillusioned, and even despair. So that's the historical context. That's what was going on. God's people, after having returned from exile and Babylon, they're now wondering, was it all worthwhile? Would we have been better off just staying in Babylon? Life seemed tough to them. You know, circumstances seemed harsh to them, and that caused them to wonder if God still appeared. Because things were hard, they doubted God's love. They wondered, had God, had God forgotten him? Had God finished with him? And maybe you can identify with this, because sometimes life can be difficult for us. You know, sometimes we can be disappointed, we can be disillusioned, we can, we can be even despairing, and we can doubt God's love for them in that uh, frame of mind. There are some here who can remember much better days in terms of the life of the church. There are some here who can remember uh, days when uh, the churches were full, morning and evening, and 
on a Sunday. And after the services were finished, people were pouring into houses for, for fellowships. There's some here who lived through days of revival when there was such a buzz and there was whole villages uh, being touched by the Spirit of God and brought to faith in Christ. And you can think back to how things once were and you can read the accounts in, in these revival books about how life was. And think about how wonderful that must have been. And you look around today, you see the empty chairs. You see how little movement looks on the Lord's day. You get a sense of how little enthusiasm there can be uh, sometimes. We think about how few conversions there are. And the temptation comes to us to wonder, is God still interested in us? Does he still love us? Talk us through our minds. That's where they were. The temple is not as big and shiny and glorious as the last one. It's not like yesterday. It's not like years gone by. And we dropped, they started to doubt God's love. <coughs> and sometimes it's not a case of uh, church life, it's just our, our personal circumstances. Uh, sometimes we can be going through a phase of life and things are just not going well. You know, the marriage is difficult, the kids are starting to veer off track, friends are let us down, you know, work is, is a slog, health is failing, money is tight. And very often these kind of waves of trouble, uh, they, they cause us to doubt God's love. They cause us to ask, does God see us? Does God remember us? Does he care? I've sat with so many people in hospitals over the years who have gone through difficult things. And, and they fight so hard not to ask this question, does God care? Remember the disciples in the boat in Mark chapter 4. Uh, things are, are going to get first when they set sail. Then the wind starts to blow, the storm seems to rise, and the boat's rocking from this way to that way. They start to get fearful. They start to fear for their lives, and they go looking for Jesus, and he's asleep. And do you remember what they said to Jesus? They said to him, don't you care? Don't you care that we perish? <coughs> of course he cared. That's why he was in the boat. That's why he was in the world, because he did care. But God's people in at the time of the Malachi's writing, uh, this is where they were. They were doubting God's love because they were struggling uh, with their circumstances. They wondered if God cared. So there's a declaration of God's love, uh, there's a doubt of God's love, and finally, uh, there's a demonstration of God's love. And uh, in verses 2 to 5, I'll just move very quickly through them without time. Uh, the Lord replies to the questions of Israel, that question of how have you loved us? And he says two things to them in response, to the assurance of his love for them. And the first thing he says to them is, I chose you. And the second thing that he says to them is, I am with you. So the first thing is, I chose you. And the way he says that is slightly cryptic. It's in verse 2, and God says to Malachi, through the writer, and was not Esau Jacob's brother? Yeah, I love Jacob. And that took God's people uh, all the way back in time, probably around about 2,000 years. Malachi presses rewind. He takes them uh, back the time before Jesus, David, back the time before, before Moses, all the way back to Genesis 25. And in Genesis 25, we're not going to go there tonight, but we see that uh, there is Jacob and there is Esau. There are these two brothers. And to be honest, Esau is a more likable character. But God chooses Jacob, and he's not that likable. He's kind of deceitful, he's a bit sneaky. But God chose Jacob, 
to be the one through whom the nation of Israel and the Messiah would come. Then Paul remarks on that in Romans chapter 9 as well. Uh, he, he says uh, before the, the twins were born, before Esau and Jacob were born, or had done anything, God chose Jacob. The question is why? And the answer is we don't know. There's nothing in Jacob that makes him attractive or lovable uh, or, 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 or a step ahead of Esau. Uh, but the Lord, he chose Jacob, he loved Jacob simply because he is gracious. And he says, remember, I chose Jacob, I chose Jacob's people, I chose you, not because of what's in you, it's a mystery, I chose you. And that should be a comfort uh, to, to God's people in Mount Christ uh, time of writing. And that should be a comfort to us if we're Christians. You know, if, if God's love for us was performance-related, if God's love for us was dependent on, on, on who we are and how good we were doing, we can never have any kind of assurance of God's love for us. Because we know that we go up and we go down and we go left and we go right and we're, we're, we're shambles at times. We know how unlovely we are in our hearts. And if God's love was dependent on our hearts and our performance, we'd be doomed. We'd be out. But the amazing, mysterious, wonderful truth that's threaded all through the Bible is that God chooses us and, and he, he loves us not because we are righteous, not because we are attractive, but because he is gracious. He chooses us. He, he makes us his own. And Paul writes about that in Ephesians 1. I was going to go there again, but I'm not going to just lie. Um, he, he writes in verse 13, I think it was, in Ephesians 1. And you were chosen when you heard the gospel. So when you and I hear the fact that we are sinners, and when we uh, hear the fact that Jesus went to the cross and died for us, you know God is choosing us. When this makes sense to us, and when we're drawn to the message of the gospel, we know God is choosing us. Why? Who knows why? We don't know why. Because we know there will be a, a dozen people who will walk past the road tonight who have no interest in any of this. But we're sitting here and we're interested in this and we understand this and our eyes are open to this because God has chosen us. And that's a comfort to us. In spite of who we are, in spite of what we have done and have left undone, in spite of how we fall, in spite of how we fail, in spite of how Jacob-like we are, God says to Malachi and to his people and to us, though, I chose you. I remember going to choose a, a coffee pot for my parents uh, years ago. They lost, they lost their dog and they, uh, they, they, they needed another dog. And so I... Uh, I went to go and choose a, a coffee pot for them, but I, I didn't tell them. But I spoke to the, the farmer who was, who was selling the pups, and he, um, he told me about the pups on the phone. And he said, oh, there's some of them are quite strong, they're boisterous, good working dogs. And there's a few others that are they're a bit quieter, and if they're very intelligent, they'd be good workers as well. So when I went into the house, um, I looked at the pups, and immediately I knew which one I wanted. And she wasn't strong. She only had one ear, and she couldn't hear very well. And the farmer, when I kind of looked at her, and he said, "Oh, I wouldn't bother with her. No, she's the she's the runt of the litter." But I chose her. I knew I could see who she was, but I chose her, and she she was loved by her parents. And the Lord says to Israel, with all their feelings, "I chose you." 
Remember, Jesus said to his disciples in, in John 15, uh, with all their failings, he says, you did not choose me, I chose you. And Paul said to the, the church in, in Ephesus, and through that letter, um, God says to us, the church in, in North Harris, uh, before time began, I chose you. And the second thing he says, the last thing uh, he says is, I'm with you. And uh, you can scan verses 2 through to, to verse 5 there. Um, I'm very, very certain if I take uh, two pages and try to condense them into two sentences, uh, uh, God says, I see your enemies, I see the people of Eden, I see how formidable they are, I see how they attack you. But don't worry about it, I'm with you. And they won't succeed, they won't fall, even though they roar, even though they snarl, even though they attack, they will not overcome. Because I'm with you. You know, we can look back over our our lives and we can see um, times when we have been so aware the Lord has been with us. Just like Israel, uh, we haven't escaped difficult things, difficult providences come into our lives, things that we wish had never hit us, uh, waves that crash in, they rock us. But we know that uh, through these times, uh, God has said to us through His Word and we've experienced it through His Spirit and He's saying to us, I'm with you. I know it's difficult. I know your heart is sore. I know it feels like the end of the world, but I'm with you. You know, prosperity gospel through our, our lives. Those who say, follow Jesus, and you'll be healthy and happy. Nothing bad will ever happen. That's lies. Jesus says this, in this world you have trouble, but don't fear. I'm with you. This is what the Lord says, Isaiah 53. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, uh, your Savior. God says, I chose you, and I am with you. And if they could see that, as they look back over their relatively short salvation history, surely we can see that tonight. Because when we look back over our salvation history, we see what they didn't see. We see the cross. We see that God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die so that we could live. We see that God so loved the world that he sent one who would be called Emmanuel, God with us. And all of this is much more of an expression than Malachi's people could take in. Uh, we have it. We have this emphatic word from God that He loves us. He is with us. So let's trust Him. We'll pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, your word to us. And although this is a word that uh, goes back so many years to a time that is so different to our day, uh, we identify so much with uh, your people of old. Uh, we Confess, Lord, that there are times that we doubt and have for us that things are difficult. We wonder if we're on our own. But we thank you that as we take our eyes off the waves and the circumstances of life, and as we look to the hills and beyond the hills to the God uh, who made us, and uh, we are given that reassurance that you love us. We thank you that there's no coincidence that any of us are here tonight. We thank you that you're saying to us through your word, I chose you, I know you, I see everything in your life, but I chose you, and I'm with you. So enable us, Lord, we pray, 
and not to push away a God who has such a clear expression of love for us. Enable us not to, to push away a God who would demonstrate his love for us in, in such a clear way. We think of the, uh, the, the passage in, in John. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. May we indeed know that life, we pray. And it's through Christ that we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit be with us all. Amen.